This is the podcast Going Beyond Salvation, and this is your host, uh, Jess Robinson. And this is the Old Testament section uh, with this podcast, with the daily reading. And so we're, we're continuing on, and for the reading, it was... You know, going into Second Kings, all you know, starting at chapter one and going through chapter sixteen, and uh, you know, there's just a lot happening. You know, because you have, you know, both, you know, the you have Israel and Judah. You know, you have the Northern Kingdom, and then you have Judah, and um, so, you know, it can get a little bit confusing reading Kings. It's a lot easier reading Chronicles uh, because it mainly focuses on Judah. It doesn't really focus on uh, uh, Israel so much. And we get into Second Kings here. And just some of the things I wanted to point out is, is as we're going along, we see that, for example, in, in, in Israel, you know, you have a lot you have this kingdom that's ensnared in sin and the sin that it keeps coming back is the sin of Jeroboam. Jeroboam, you know, had been chosen, you know, by God. He, he said, you know, I'm taking the kingdom away from, from Solomon, you know, not in his time, but from his son because of Solomon's sin, you know, Solomon had, you know, started off strong and, you know, in the Lord, and then he, he was ensnared by his wives. And we actually see, I was doing my own separate day, daily reading, and I was reading in Nehemiah, and in the book of Nehemiah, and, and even Nehemiah mentions, because uh, when they come back from exile, the Israelites were, they were not going to make the same mistake that they did with idolatry. And, and getting involved with foreign women. And we see at some point Nehemiah, who was a governor, and he helped rebuild, rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. He goes back to Babylon, uh, stays true to his word with the Babylon king, and comes back to do his service. And then he comes back to Israel at some point. And they had you know, laxed in morals again. And one of those things is they brought, they were marrying foreign women and he was sitting there going, Hey, you know, Solomon, who was really great and wise, he was even snared by foreign women. And this is why we had problems. And, and so, you know, we see here that with Jeroboam, he was picked by the Lord, but he didn't, he ended up ensnaring the people in sin because he he was like, oh my gosh, it's going to revert back to David. And if the people are going back to, to Jerusalem to do the, the sacrifices and to worship God and do the festivals, then, you know, he he had the kingdom. And he's like, he didn't trust the Lord and what the Lord had said. And... And caused these kings to be ensnared. And we see in Second Kings that it starts, and we see it even with First Kings, where in, in Israel, it's not the same. It doesn't really go from bloodline to bloodline. We actually, the we do see in Second Kings with Jehu that, yes, because he did what the Lord had told him, 
that he, you know, the Lord said you will roll till your, your generation will roll till the third or fourth, if I remember right. And, uh, we see here in this story that, but we see just a lot of uprising and we just see Israel continuing on being ensnared in sin with idolatry and they're not repenting. Even when the Lord does come to, to save them, they are not repenting. And sadly, that is what happens. We even talked about it with judges when sin is left unchecked, that things just start going downhill. And we see it today that a lot of sin has been left unchecked, even today. And, you know, it's, it's scary because of, you know, we see the riots going on. We see the political atmosphere and the people that are, especially here in America, we see it here politically that there's people that are promoting something that is so not biblical you know and with with socialism that it's not biblical and and full of evil full of hatred you know I see you know what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement with all these protests and it was scary me and my husband you know we cut when we were in Laramie you know when we before we had moved to Laramie we had kept up with the Marvel movies And then we kind of fell off of that because we had gone to Laramie. We were on a budget. It was expensive to go to the theaters and we were not, and it was expensive to even get the DVDs. Well, we've been catching up on the Marvel movies since now we're, you know, home and stuff. And I had bought a brand new laptop and with it came like with voodoo and stuff. We're watching that and, uh, watching all these digital movies and so we actually watched Black Panther and actually the the villain in Black Panther what he was saying I like I said Jay that really scares me because it is the same attitude that is happening with these these riots that you know we have to empower and it was just filled with hatred and I'm like that's scary that that was in that movie and I was telling my husband I just sat there and said it's just there's so much hate coming from these riots so much anger and and then we see you know in the courts like you know um the supreme court's ruling about with that you know, trying to protect a a homosexual's rights with employment. And I just sat there and I told my husband, I said, they don't realize what they just did. The can of worms that they're opening because I said, yes, it's going to hurt Christians, but it's also hurting just regular employers because, um, you know, and I, I'm starting to see it even in my own job with, with a coworker that, you know, is starting to pull that card because, you know, one, they're not doing their job. And I can tell that, you know, our, our bosses want want to fire this person, but they're scared because this person's starting to 
throw this card out that because of their sexual orientation or their age, that they do have uh, this lawsuit against them. And it's to that point that, you know, it, we have opened up this can of worms with even even allowing homosexuality. This is where it's gone in transgenderism. We're getting to this point that it's more, you know, allowing sin and then sin builds upon itself. And it's, you know, I, I've been on my knees praying that we have revival and that with this, this political season that men and women who you know, are seeking after righteous and noble things. The things of the Lord are going to get in into the seats of power. And those who are being hard hearted, that they're going to be ousted out because we need men and women of righteousness to come in. And we have to pray for, for the Lord to just move, you know, and, and repent and repent of, of our sins of what we've done. Because, yeah, sadly, the church has just kind of turned a blind eye or gotten scared because they're afraid they're going to get shut down or, you know, the whole fear of not being popular and and all of that because, you know, they stand up for what the Bible says is not good. And, and it's like, you know, and at this point, I'm even to the point as... As a journalist, it's like I'm walking away from my own uh, life just so that because it's like I need to start pursuing the right things, even with story wise. And so um, it may mean, you know, hanging up the regular journalism hat and going into Christian journalism. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's getting to that point. And so here in in 2 Kings we see like with Israel that sin just versus, you know, uh Judah, yes, they have they had some kings that that did not follow the Lord, but you you see kind of a pattern that there are some that don't follow the Lord, but then you have some that we're going to see some great revivals, you know, happening in, in Judah, especially with Hezekiah, with Josiah. You see different things happening, uh, you know, these these men of God that, you know, their heart was for the Lord and just just the things that happen because of where their heart was at. And so kind of just going through Second uh, Kings, you know, we start off, uh, you know, on, on the, ju- the Lord's judgment on Isaiah. And he, this is actually, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting story, you, you know, Isaiah, he, he'd fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and he injures himself. So he tells, you know, these, these men, these messengers to go up to, you know, this fake God and find out what's going to happen if he's going to recover from this injury. And there's Elijah, the prophet comes in and just says, you know, really, you know, you go to a false God 
and practically just says, fine, you're, you're just not going to live through this injury. You're going to, you're going to die. And so they returned and then Ahaziah goes and has these men go up to Elijah. And I feel, I was wondering with these men, what they were feeling like, you know, the first group, probably not so bad. They go up and Elijah calls fire down on, on them and they die. And I'm like, I wonder what the second group was thinking when they went, knowing that this first group died and then the second group dies. And we see with the third one, this, this person's like, please don't kill me, you know, and they, they tremble and the Lord says, no, go with these ones. And so, you know, practically when I was researching in the, in my study Bible and, and just kind of studying, it was talking about, you know, with this whole fire fell from heaven, what it was, was, you know, the king and even his soldiers were in rebelling against God and they wanted to arrest Elijah, but you had this last one and maybe we, we don't know who this last man was, but we knew that he feared there, you know, the fear of God was upon him. And so Elijah goes and essentially tells Ahaziah that he's going to die. And so Ahaziah had no son. So this, this man named Joram succeeded him as king in, in Israel. And so we're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk about Elijah and what happened to him. In, in chapter 2 of 2 Kings, we see Elijah uh, is taken up into heaven. And we see his, I, I like to say his apprentice, essentially, disciple, Elisha. He, he goes with him. All these prophets stay behind. But he follows Elisha to the end. And and his only request is from Elijah is, you know, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. He was hung. We notice that Elisha hungered for the Lord. And we see that he, he remains strong in the Lord. And we see in this story that Elijah is taken up into heaven. Now, Elijah does not die. He does not meet death. He's taken up in heaven, body and soul. And that is pointing up, you know, he's caught away, caught away, catching away. That's essentially, we point that as another, you know, type and shadow towards the rapture. And many people debate about the rapture. End times is really debated a lot. There's different, and we'll talk about it too when we, uh, especially when, we, when we're in the New Testament portion of it with the book of Revelation and First uh, and Second Thessalonians, talking about it at times. Uh, 
there are those that believe that, you know, this is all made up, that rapture is not written in the Bible. It's not. It's not written in the Bible. Rapture, it, it comes from the Latin word raptu, which means caught away or caught up. And it's equivalent to the Greek word harpazo, which is translated as caught up. And it's it's described in the New Testament along in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when, you know, and there's all these catching away, the twinkling of an eye. There is going to be a rapture. And this, what happened to Elijah is, is a type and shadow of what's going to happen. And actually in the book of Revelation, there's talk about the two witnesses and the two witnesses that people believe that people are believing and, and is speculated or generally agreed upon. And I agree with this is I believe the two witnesses that will come during the tribulation will be of Elijah and Enoch because they were caught up. They did not experience death. So I believe it's going to be those two that are going to show up. Uh, so this is a type and foreshadow and we see we see in this story after what happened to Elijah and Elisha ends up tearing his robes and he's mourning. You know, he's mourning. I think he's a little discouraged because he goes up, he has this cloak of of Elijah's, Elijah's and Elisha ends up going, where's the God of Elijah now? And he throws it on the water and all of a sudden it, it splits. And I think it was like, whoa. And it, it does happen to us believers. There are times of discouragement and you go, where is God? Where is God in this situation? And, but God shows up in, in the littlest ways and and it also, you know, he likes to remind us, too, from our past, you know, the things that he has already done in our lives. And to remind us over and over and over that he's still there. And so now we have Elisha that ends up taking this mantle as a prophet. And we, we read these different stories about Elisha. What happens, you know, there's the healing of the, of the water and, you know, and, you know, he puts his rock in and I don't know what the rock had to do with the water, but he prayed and, and prophesied over it and the water was healed. We see that even, we even see that and people wonder, okay. It's this whole thing with Elisha being jeered by this youth. There are those, when I was researching, there are those that believe that these were youths that mocked Elisha, that they were actually a gang organized to oppose the, his ministry. Uh, the Hebrew word uh, for this is used as, as a general word for boy it is often applied to older youths when used alone. However, the the Hebrew here is actually for for little boys. 
Um, older youths would have been out in the fields at this point. So they're thinking this is little boys. You know, this, you know, we have Elisha that's coming through. He, he would have attracted a small group of boys as he's coming through the village. And these children probably had heard, you know, their parents mocking the news about Elijah and, and how he'd been taken up to heaven. And that's why they're saying, go on up all you bald head. And so it's not that it was that he was bald, which they call him bald head, but um, they were highly mocking him about what had happened and wanted, you know, because remember, this is a time where the with the, the times that are going on that they were there was people mocking the Lord because they're they're steeped in sin. Their hearts were not there. And so we see this happen with a bear. And people go, oh my gosh, how can a bear? This is where a lot of atheists go. How can a bear be there? They have actually found that there was a type of bear in that area. I, I believe that bear is actually now extinct. But they have found the remains of, of this bear. Not the actual bear that attacked the kids, but. So, we have this with Elisha being jeered. And then we also have, you know, and so Elisha ends up taking over this mantle as a prophet. And Second Kings, you know, talks, of, you know, still kind of focuses on Elisha at some points. But it's also still focusing on these kings. And we see that Moab ends up revolting. Joram was a son of Ahab and he becomes king in Samaria and there's still Jehoshaphat and as we talked about Jehoshaphat last time, Jehoshaphat followed the Lord. The only thing he did wrong is he did marry a daughter of Ahab and it's going to come back to kind of bite with future generations but you have Jehoshaphat. He he's following the Lord, and as I also said too, he 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 loves the Lord, but he is not very good at picking friends. Now, yes, there's peace between the two divided nations because of this, but we see what happens with Moab revolting, and Joram's like. Hey, will you help me go take care of Moab? And then they go through the desert and they get into trouble. They're running out of water and thinking they're going to die. And it's just kind of like us as believers that we have to be be careful as believers who we pick as friends. And even as, you know, believers who we pick as spouses, you know, speak and pick for spouses. I uh, can't talk today, but. Um, who we pick for spouses and, and all of that. Because if you pick somebody to be married to, that's going to get you in, in a world of hurt with sin, you know, especially if they are not a believer, 
it's just going to bring heartache upon heartache. And then you also have, you know, if you're picking friends that are not believers that are dragging you down in your relationship, it's just kind of like in this situation, they're running out of water and they're going to die. But, you know, Jehoshaphat goes, oh, you know, where is, you know, a, a, you know, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? And they point to Elisha going, he's around this area. And Jehoshaphat, he, I think he, you know, had seen what had happened with Elijah and known that Elisha was underneath him. He's like, hey, the word of the Lord is with him. And Jehoshaphat, it was instant, let's go to the Lord. And he still held on to that of, we need to go to the Lord in this situation. And they go. And Elisha, you know, there's Joram. And Elisha, he, he looks to the king of Israel and he says, you know, what do we have to do with the each other go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother because yes Ahab is dead but Jezebel's still alive and so he's essentially saying to Choram what do I have to do with you you know your family and has chosen to not serve the Lord why don't you go to your gods and Joram you know responds no because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to, to hand us over to Moab. He's thinking God is against him. And we see that today. That many people think God is against them. That he's the one causing their problems. No, it's not God that's causing your problems. A lot of times it's only you that have to blame for your problems. If you're... Especially if you're walking in sin. Blatant sin. The only one that has to blame is yourself. And I know it sounds blunt. But that's how it is. <laughs> Today, and it really irritates me. Today, how people live with a victim attitude. That it's everybody else's fault. But there's a lot of time. And... I see a lot of people because they see themselves as a victim. They are not walking in the true identity and who they are in the Lord and not winning battles in, in their lives and for their family because they live as a victim. You know, like, you know, and this week it has been running through my head. There's a song uh, uh, from Bethel that it, it says I'm, the, the lyrics is, I'm no victim, I live with a vision. You know, that, yes, we are no longer victims to sin. You know, God has redeemed us. And because of that, you know, we have a king. We, we have an eternal home and he's given us a vision. It's, there's so much more, you know. And so we have this. And I, I like what Elisha said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. If I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. 
And because, and so Jehoshaphat and his relationship with God was essentially what saved them was because, you know, Elisha goes, if he wasn't even with you, I'd have nothing to do with you. Because at this point, they have steeped down into sin and God's just saying, you know what, here you go. So they bring in a harpist and people go, what? And it's like worship music, you know, that that's a part of prayer. And so he's worshiping. And then this whole thing with Moab happens where one, they get water. And then two, the water shows up as blood. And so the people of Moab think, oh, they killed each other and went to go finish everything off, take the spoils, and they get the rude awakening of, no, that they're still alive and they actually win that. And we see this with this story about it's so crucial, one, to to watch who you, you you choose to be friends with and two, to be devoted to the Lord. You know, just continue in your devotion with the Lord. So, I'm going to t- we're going to take a quick break and then continue on. Continuing on, you know, Elisha, there's all these miracles that happen. Just like Elijah, you know, we, we see a, another... Miracle with oil happened, like we saw with Elijah, with with the woman, you know, the widow, and she makes a cake for him, and the flour and the oil lasts them through this whole famine. We see here that there's a woman who is about to lose her sons because her husband, you know, had died, and he owed this debt, and... They were oppressed and it just shows God's compassion and his continue. And we see it continually happen. His compassion for those who are in need and trouble or need and need and in trouble, especially those who are his faithful followers. We see this woman was a faithful follower. She, her husband was part of the prophets company of prophets. And we see God moving in this situation through the miracle of the oil and that the oil continues on. And when you think about oil, oil represents, you know, the out, the outpouring of the Holy spirit, um, especially when they were anointing Kings that in, in the old Testament, it was representing the the outpouring of the spirit and they actually when that happened like we see with king david the the holy spirit came upon him um and so and that's just how god is you know the holy spirit is going to continue to pour and pour and pour it's never going to run out never going to run dry and and that's just something that we can always lean on to then we meet the Shunammite, you know, and this woman, she was very faithful and provides a, a room for Elisha and just was hosting him, taking care of him. 
and not asking anything in return. And we think about that today as believers, just having a heart that's giving and a heart to serve, not expecting anything in return. And Elisha notices, you know, this devotion of this woman taking care of him and his needs. And he has her brought up, you know, and, and says, what, you know, what, what do you need? And, you know, what can be done for her? And his, you know, servant says, well, she, she has no child and her husband's old. And Elisha says to her, you know, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. And, and she, she objected to it. And I think it's just because, you know, probably the years that, you know, they had no child. She was resolved to the fact that she was probably never going to have a child. And, and we can get that way when prayers aren't answered, you know, healing doesn't come right away, you know, and things just keep being the status quo. We think that our breakthrough is not going to come through. That's not how it is. And we, we see she ends, ends up having a son. But we also see what happens to the son. That the son, he goes out and he says, my head hurts, my head hurts. And um, that really makes me think he had an aneurysm. You know, because my head hurt. You know, I've I've met people who have had aneurysms. And what happens is, you know, there's that huge headache that happens. It's what they call the shotgun headache. Um, and it can be deadly. And we see this boy dies. But what does the mother do? She puts him in the room that Elisha always stays in. Shuts the door. And she goes and seeks out Elisha, the man of God. Because in that time, the man of God meant that the presence of the Lord was there. So she's seeking God and she, she's telling people everything's all right. Tells Gehazi everything's all right. But when she comes and weeps, you know, she comes down onto his, his feet. Elisha goes, wait a minute, she's in distress, but the Lord hasn't revealed to me. And, you know, she, she essentially tells him that, you know, did I ask you for your son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? And, and one of the things I want to point out too, is a lot of these miracles are, that are happening. If you look back at Elisha's ministry, where he ends up raising up a dead son and we see Elisha does the same thing. He raises up the Shunammite's son and that's the thing about it is, is continuing, even with breakthrough, continuing to, to go before the Lord and in times of trouble, going and seeking the presence of God. You know, there are so many people and I, a couple of months ago, I was talking to a man where he said he knew that the presence of the Lord was upon him because when his son, his son had committed suicide and he was the one that found him. He was in the house with him. He heard the gunshot. And he said, I, I had to break down the door. And I found him. Um, 
dead. And he said, years ago, he would have just went to a bar and drowned his sorrows in, in alcohol. But he said that he started hearing the Lord's prayer. And he said that night, the Lord was with him through that, that time. And he was sitting there just soaking up God's word. And he said, it was just the peace of God, you know, even though things weren't right, you know, he just lost his son, you know, to suicide. There's this peace. And he, he went through this journey and ended up writing this story about his journey because he also, you know, didn't have, uh, he had lost his wife and in a wreck and, um, he said, you know, his life, you know, he, he loves the story of Job a lot more because in his life, you know, he, yeah, he lost his son, but he ended up gaining a wife who had lost a husband to cancer, gaining her, the, their children that they had, and also including another son. And so, you know, and it was just this persistence of being and hungering after God and going after him. And so we see this with the, the son being raised up, the death in the pot, you know, just these different, different, uh, you know, feeding a, a hundred of a hundred. And we, you know, you see Jesus feeding the, the 5,000. It's pointing back to the story, you know, and because, and I'm going to, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a man that came, he was a mission, he's a missionary and he, uh, was sharing that story about Jesus and the five feeding the 5,000. And he said it, there's a lot pointing back, you know, to this, this, Exodus, another Exodus that was going to happen, this redemption being redeemed. And he said, we see it over and over in the Old Testament. And that's one of those things about the feeding again of, of these people. And so uh, we're going to take a quick break and then talk about Naaman. So we have this story of Naaman. He's a Gentile and a great man. And we see this story that he has leprosy. And one of the things that ends up happening is he had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And we see that she served Naaman's wife. And she is telling, you know, her mistress that if only Naaman would go see the prophet who's in, in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And God moves in interesting ways. We see he uses this, this story of a Gentile. We see Naaman's this great man of, you know, he's a great commander huge high up and 
and all of that. And we see he has he deals with a lot of pride. And we see that God works in this situation. And first it starts off with, with this girl who's an Israelite, who's a slave. She's a slave. She has, you know, she comes from this place where, you know, this promised land. And she's a slave. And not the greatest conditions. She's serving this mistress, she's in bondage, but she's still testifying to God's goodness and saying, hey, you know, the boldness she had to, to tell uh, her mistress, you know, to, to send her husband to this prophet because they were serving other gods and you know, it, it, for her to boldly say that, the Lord's hand was with her in this situation, though. The Lord was going to use this for his glory. And we can take that in our own lives, you know, especially, and we will really talk about this with Daniel, where, you know, Daniel, he's in a, a foreign land filled with spiritual battles because these people are they're worshiping other gods they're doing there's just a lot of paganism going on but God uses Daniel to you know and and the place that he's in and we see over and over with Daniel that the the trust he gains and he goes he's with all these leaders throughout his life Because he remains faithful to God for one thing, but he and doesn't turn away. But God and he uses the gifts God has given him to to reach to these people. And that's how it is today. You know, we see what's going on in this world, and you know, God has given us gifts, you know, and many people in the church would rather just hide and and not do anything because they're afraid they're going to get persecuted. They're afraid they're going to get shut down. But we're to continue on in our journey and we're to continue to proclaim Christ, you know, wherever we're at in our jobs, in the grocery store, praying for people, letting God's gifts that he's given us be used for his glory. And we see that Naaman actually takes his device and he goes. And we see the the king, um, you know, this king of Israel. We don't know who it is. He he tears his robe going, how, you know, he thinks this is a death sentence. And, you know, Elisha says, no, send him to me. Now we meet Naaman. And Naaman has a lot of pride because Elisha just goes, tells him to, to go wash in the river. Naaman was expecting, you know, his hand, you know, this huge, glorious thing that happens. And, you know, this big, and, and as Christians, we, we tend to allow our pride to get in the way and, 
thinking, oh, there's going to be this like huge healing. We're going to be knocked on the floor in the Holy Spirit. There are times that God has you know, moved in just the most quiet ways. You know, not saying that I've seen people knocked out in, in the Holy Spirit, you know, knocked down in the Holy Spirit after praying over them. And, you know, glory to God in that area. But sometimes we let our expectations get in the way. And pride can happen when those expectations aren't met. And we see with Naaman, you know, the story where he ends up having to humble himself and he goes and dips in the water, just as the prophet tells him to do. And we see he's healed and he, he decides I'm going to serve God. And that's just how God is, is, you know, we see little hints, even in the old Testament that, that it wasn't just the Israelites. He was saving. He was coming up with this master plan for everyone, including the Gentiles. And so we see that, but we also see in the story, Elisha's own servant, Gehazi, allows greed to take over. And, and he ends up becoming leprous because of that. He gets leprosy. Then we get to chapter 6. And I love this thing about the axe head floats. And you actually, uh, if you've read Priscilla Schreier's book, Fervent, about prayer... You know, and, and the ways that the enemy attacks us uh, is a very good book. I recommend any woman of God to read uh, that book. It's amazing, you know, about prayer. It really opens up your eyes to to the different areas that the enemy attacks and, and how to pray in that area. And she uses this story, and she actually uses another story of, of Elisha as well, but this axe head floats, what it is, is they were doing the work of the Lord, these prophets, and we see that this one, he borrowed uh, an axe, and the axe head falls into the water, and it sinks, and so, you know, we can relate that, and, and our own walk with the, with the Lord, when the enemy attacks, he attacks a lot of times, when we're doing what God is wanting us to do. You know, we see these prophets, they're doing what the Lord wanted them to do. They were doing the Lord's work. We see that the axe was borrowed. We, we have these spiritual gifts, but they're not of our own making. They're, these spiritual gifts are from God. And so... We are to use the gifts God has given us. And we see in the story that only an act of God could get that axe head up. And sometimes, well, pretty much most of the times when the enemy attacks us, when we're doing the work of the Lord, it's going to be an act of God, His moving, that's going to come through in that situation. And that's just something that we should rejoice in.
And then we, even in chapter six, just a short time after, and this is also in Priscilla Schreier's book, Fervent, about having our eyes open to, to the spiritual realm. And we see in this story that Elisha is, he's giving the bedroom secrets of this king of the of Aram and foiling his plot. Like I'm like seeing like a cartoon, those cartoon shows where just the, the plan just, there's this master plan and, and it's all foiled. And, you know, the king of Aram's like stumped going, who in my own group is giving away these secrets and they're finding he finds out that it's Elisha the prophet and he goes to kill him and they're surrounded and the servant says to to Elisha oh my lord what shall we do the servant asked do not be afraid the prophet answered those who are with us are more than those who are with them and Elisha prayed This is to the servant, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So we see, you know, even in our own lives, you know, Elisha Elisha prays for his servant to see into the spiritual realm. Sometimes we feel that we're surrounded by the enemy, surrounded by our circumstances, but we're surrounded by the Lord, you know, and he's going before us. He's behind us. He's all around us. And that's just something that we can rejoice in. And we see in this story that these men end up blinded and led to the king of Israel. And he could have killed them, but... They don't. Elisha says, no, give them food and water and then let them go back. And we see that they stop raiding Israel's territory. I think the fear of God came on those people because they were like, we're not going to deal with this anymore. And so I believe that the fear of the Lord came upon them at that point and they were, they weren't going to cross him again. Um, we're going to take a quick break and talk about this famine in, in Samaria. So there's this famine that uh, happens in Samaria. This is in Israel on the northern kingdom. And we have Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, um, at some time later. The fear of the Lord leaves them and they decide, oh, we're going to mobilize and this entire army and lay siege to Samaria. And I believe in this time as, as well, you know, as as I was said, you know, Israel is the northern kingdom is steeped in sin. And so that's probably what was going on. And what happened in these days when there was these siege works, What and we're going to see that too with the, the king of Babylon what happens um, with Judah is they would surround uh, the place that they were going to conquer. So they were surrounding Samaria so that trade couldn't come in and out. They were essentially trapped. And you couldn't have food. 
you know, food wasn't coming in. It wasn't. And so the people would start running out of food. And illness would start to happen. And this is what's happening with Samaria at this point. Is there's what they call a famine. And we see that people are getting desperate. They're doing you know, what they can to survive. And it's so bad that, you know, the king of Israel becomes angry because he hears the story from these women where one woman killed her son and they ate him. They resorted to cannibalism to survive. And the other woman hid her son. And he is so distressed. He tears his robes. He's thinking, you know... He's thinking, I'm going to kill Elisha because he believes that he's, he's the problem. And as believers, when things are going on, we sometimes think that it's, you know, God's punishment on us. Or we look at somebody and think they're the problem. When it's actually deeper, there's a deeper spiritual problem, which is the devil. In that situation. Now I'm not saying that everything is the double. You know I don't believe a flat tire. Is the work of a double. You know. If you get a flat tire. Go out and put the spare on the flat. You know where the flat is at. And go get your flat tire fixed. You know. Um, I just totally believe though. Like we see in this situation. You know, sometimes we can get discouraged and we think it's God who is putting this on us. And and a lot of times it's not, you know, it's an attack of the enemy. A lot of times it's us in our own sin when we've been doing whatever we want and living in sin. It's as we can kind of see with Israel, you know, living in our own sin and it's coming back to bite us. So we see that. And Elisha, you know, has this word of the Lord that he's, you know, saying that a sea of flour is going to sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And they're like, there's no way that this is going to happen, especially this man, this officer. And Elisha goes, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. And we see what happens with this siege and it starts with these men who were outsiders. They were not, they were leprous and they decide, you know what? Our fate is the same. You know, they'll kill us there or we'll just die here. And so they end up going to this camp and they see they're not there anymore. That the angel of the Lord had come and, So then they, at first they take things and thinking, you know, we're going to, but then they realize, you know, this isn't right. They have a change of heart and they go and and tell the people. And so the Lord ends up moving in the situation. And yes, the officer ends up getting trampled. And that's just how it is, is the Lord will move in a way. And sometimes we won't believe it until Really, our eyes see it. And we're going to take a quick break. 
and talk about the Shunammite again. The Shunammite that we met with Elisha, we see that this isn't the end of her story. And the one that she had restored. And we see that because of how God moved in her life, that, you know, even Gehazi was telling the king of Israel, you know, um, Elisha had told her to, you know, go away because there was going to be a famine, you know, which shows that, you know, the Lord was protecting her and. And he'll do the same for us. He'll protect us. And so she goes away into the land of the Philistines. And during that time, she lost her land. And this was God's hand because Gehazi was with the king of Israel at that time. And, you know, telling him about the Shunammite. And it was a God thing that happened that the Shonamite shows up to get her land back. And because of that, you know, the king restores her land. And, and on, on top of that, it included all the income from her land from the day that she left the country until now. And so that's just uh, amazing what happens with uh, the Shunammite and that's just how God is is you know he works in such ways that um, you know his timing's perfect you know some people think his timing's not perfect and it's just because we live in a society that especially these days where it's so right now because you have you know you think of our cell phones how you know, we have smartphones, everything's right here, right now. We have all these apps for something and even TV, even on demand, you know, movies and all of that. And so we see that and, you know, God's timing was perfect and he took care of the Shunammite and even her testimony of, you know, how God had helped raise her son from the dead, spoke to this king and brought favor and so we see that happen. And then after that, we kind of jump into with Second Kings, these different kings. You know, there's Hazel, you know, becomes king of Israel in a... He becomes king of Israel through... Or no... He doesn't become king of Israel. He becomes king of Aram. Sorry, excuse me on that. But Hazel, you know, he murders Ben-Hadad. And it's sad what happens that, you know, even Elisha uh, prophesies what's going to happen. That it's through this deception. And, and then we have, the story goes to Jehoram, who's king of Judah. And... And that he was evil because he had married a daughter of or related to Ahab in them. And we see that even though he's evil, that God decides, I'm not, I'm going to promise to maintain a lamp for David and his descendants forever. And 
you know, not very much is written about Jehoram on this, and we'll we'll talk about him more in Chronicles. And then we get to Haziah, who's king of Judah. And Haziah was, you know, his mother's name was Atalia. And he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, and he did evil. And it's because he was related by marriage to Ahab's family. And, you know, Haziah, you know, bad circumstances happen because he ends up hanging around with this this king of Israel as well. And this is when Jehu comes in. And there's this, you know, we, there's all these different things about Jehu that he was a crazy driver because of this sentence going, oh, he drives like a madman. And Jehu, he is used by God to eliminate, you know, the line of Ahab. And we see what happens with, with Jezebel. And, and it really, like, what really comes up to me when I'm, I'm talking about this is because we see with Ahab, you know, how wicked they were. And, you know, when you live with unrepentance and you continue to walk in sin, sin leads to death. And we see this is what happens, is that a lot of death happens. And Jehu, yes, he, he follows what the Lord tells him, and we see what happens. Even He even kills the ministers of Baal through this great deception. But he doesn't follow the Lord all the way. Now, he, he does... Um, that... You know, the Lord says, because of what you did, you know, your descendants are going to sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And we do see that happen in Second Kings. And even Ahaziah ends up dying. Jehu kills him because of the sin that he was walking in. And he was associating himself with sin. If you are associating yourself with sin, you're going to essentially end up in death, especially if you're, you know, not walking in the ways of the Lord. Sin leads to death. And so this happens with Jehu and, you know, he, he's the king, but he still doesn't follow the ways of the Lord. And they're, they're still worshiping these golden calves that, that Jeroboam have put up. I think if any of these kings would have gotten rid of these calves, that there wouldn't have been such a, a degradation. And, and that's just something that I wanted to say is sometimes you have to get to the root of why. You know, it's just like, you know, a doctor, they're not just going to treat the surface conditions. They're going to ask why. You know, I one of the things that happens with me a lot of times, you know, just coming out with openness is, I suffer a lot with uh, urinary tract infections. And it's just something even my mom struggled with. I struggle with urinary tract infections. I don't drink soda. I'm very careful. You'll see me drinking lots and lots of water because I suffer with that. And throughout the years, it's, you know, there's times where I have periods of there's no like when we were in Laramie, I never suffered a UTI. 
But then we came back to Wyoming and it was like six months after we came back to Wyoming, I suffered a UTI for the first time. And it just was one thing after another. And, and, you know, I have to drink, you know, I take cranberry pills and even the doctor was saying, you know, if we can't get this figured out, we have, you know, if we can't keep this treated for very long, I have to find out what is the root of this. And, and even then we were still figuring out why, when are these happening? And now, you know, I haven't had one for over six months, um, since then, but, you know, a lot of it is that I have to drink water. I can't drink soda anymore. I can drink bubbly water, but I just can't drink soda anymore, which I shouldn't be. Um, you shouldn't drink soda either. It's not good for you. You know, and I just have to make sure I'm drinking lots and lots of water. Granted, it's hard because I will drink a lot of water and not have enough electrolytes. And so it's a balancing act. But it's the same way, even in our own relationship with the Lord, sometimes we got to get to the root of the problem of why, you know, why maybe we be lying, you know, having problems lying. Why are we struggling with pornography or even alcoholism? There's a lot of times, a lot of addictions, different, even like I like to say with transgenderism because I've really listened to a lot of stories of those who got out of being transgender and there was a lot of root issues to why they they felt the way they did a lot of it was depression a lot of it was child abuse that they that they suffered and it's the same thing is getting to the root of the problem and Israel then you know the the problem with Israel was they dealt with sin because they had this idolatry and they didn't deal with the root of, of the issue. And that's just something that even as believers, we have to get to the root of the issue. So if you're struggling with sin, you you may be struggling with, you know, for example, alcohol, maybe sit, you know, go talk to your pastor, go talk to a counselor. I, I like to say Christian counselor to find out what could be triggering, you know, why you want alcohol. You know, I notice with family members, because I do come from a family that has struggled with alcohol addiction and even drug addiction. And I notice, you know, while my family members, the the need to drink would rise when they were struggling with anger. And, and so it was kind of a vice for them. And so it's just some of those things that you need to Get to the root of it. Get to the root of, of why you're sinning and and get into the word and allow God to just take over and give it to him. You know, and once you give it to him, it's done. It's done. You know, what like Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. You know, and then and when he said it is finished, it is finished, it's done. So uh we have that, and then we have this story of, of Atalia and Joash. Atalia decides she's going to go on this killing spree and become the, the queen. And But Joash ends up surviving. And this is kind of a type 
I, when I read this story, it's a type and shadow to Jesus. Because, and we see this too, that when God is going to move, that the enemy is going to do what he can to hinder. And we see that with Jesus, that Jesus, there was a death sentence put upon him when he was a kid. And they had to flee to Egypt. We see it with Moses, that there was this, you know, decree by Pharaoh to kill all the boys. There was this genocide going on, but the Lord protected him. And we see that with Joash. Joash was protected. Um, and there was Jehida. Now, here's the thing about Joash. Joash started off, you know, and the, the reign of Atalia is, is squashed. Joash gets on the throne. and But we see with Joash that... He starts off good, you know, there's repairs to the temple. He starts off good um, and, and following the Lord. But it was as long as Jehida was the high priest because that was his counselor. That was the person that helped raise him. And then when Jehida dies, we see Joash, he ends up in spiritual ruin um, in Chronicles we are going to see that Joash actually kills Jehida's son, Zechariah, when Zechariah pretty much confronts you know, Joash for his sins. And in return, Joash is actually murdered. Now, his, by his officials. So... We see that happening. So he's assassinated. He ends in spiritual ruin. And there it's, you know, like Solomon starting out great and ending in spiritual ruin. And, you know, as believers, we have to continue to fan the flame, guard our relationship with the Lord against the enemy, you know. And, and here's the thing about it. As a believer in Christ... You know, I, I love the term that um, somebody from our church uses. And it's, you know, when you're a believer in Jesus, you know, and he's your Lord and Savior, he's got you in the palm of your hand. And it's, it's a closed fist, you know. The enemy cannot tear you out. Only you can walk out of his hands. And so... It is up to us to, you know, guard our heart against the worldly things and not letting our, our first love die. You know, it's just like in a relationship with the Lord or in a relationship, you know, between a husband and wife. You know, I am make, you know, I make sure to continue to spark and even my husband, we continue to do things to spark our love for each other you know like last week I was I had gone to do a Walmart pickup and just thing you know I was running behind schedule I hadn't gotten dishes done but you know in my heart I had been feeling like it's like I want to do something special for my husband and I went and bought you know it was an expensive dinner takeout dinner but I bought you know dinner for him so that 
you know, he could come home and we could just enjoy each other. And it was a really awesome dinner. And then this week, my husband was like, I'm going to go buy you a small tub. It was a small little tiny thing of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. And that's just some things that you do. You go and take vacation together. You continue to work on that relationship instead of letting it die. So that's what happens with Joash. We read about Jehoahaz, king of Israel, that you know he he was evil, but then he sought the Lord's favor, and the Lord saw how the king of Aram was oppressing Israel, and and the Lord intervenes, and Jehoash. He's the king of Israel. He's another son of, you know, another in the line of Jehu. And he becomes king of Israel, but he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now we read about Elisha. And we're actually going to take a quick break. And we're going to talk about what happens with Elisha. Elisha, we see all these miracles that happen with Elisha. He's a man of God, serves the Lord wholeheartedly. But we see he, he suffers from an illness that eventually kills him. And we see this story with him and Jehoash, the, the king of Israel, and that with the bow and the arrow. And... But I want to talk about Elisha, what happened to him, because here's the thing. You see, Elijah, who was a man of God as well, he was doing the things of the Lord. These miracles happened. And see, Elisha, the same miracles happened. God used him in the same way. But he experiences death versus Elijah's taken up to heaven. And people go, why did God keep Elijah alive? But why did he let Elisha die? You know, I'm not God. I don't know why he picked Elijah and then let Elisha die. But here's the thing. We live in a fallen world. And there's, I want to just say to people, especially believers out there, if you're struggling with illness, and especially chronic illness like cancer, you know, it's hard, especially with cancer. You know, I know my grandpa on my dad's side, he had bone cancer and he had, he had battled cancer before. And when my, my grandmother actually had died, um, in 2001, he was battling prostate cancer as his wife was dying. You know, she died from a a stroke. Uh, she had survived her first stroke and there was a mix up with the medical professionals. She was seeing some professionals and one town, and then she had her doctors in our, in our regular town of Powell, and there was a mix-up, and she got taken off some pills that she shouldn't have been taken off of, and she ended up having a stroke and sadly passed away. And my grandpa was, he was heartbroken, and he was dealing with prostate cancer. And he beat it, and, you know, he was living a long life, and that was in 2001, and then in about 
2010-2011, my grandpa started going downhill. His bones started to hurt, and they discovered that he had bone cancer. And they were doing chemo because there was a new experimental treatment in Colorado uh, for bone cancer patients. And they said if the chemo doesn't work here, you will automatically... He had to go through so many treatments of chemo. And then if it wasn't working, he would qualify to go to Denver and, and try this, this treatment. He thought, okay, you know... I'll, I'll give it a try, but, and he, and my grandpa was a man of God. He believed in, in the Lord, you know, had a relationship with him, was reading his Bible and just letting the Lord deal with his heart. And he was suffering from illness. And then we did all these treatments, but at some point, the struggle started to happen from the chemo. The thing about it is my, my grandpa had uh, ulcers, and one night he was having a, one evening he felt like he was having like a heart attack or something. And because, you know, with the bone cancer, it was hurting. It hurts. It's, there's a lot of pain involved and so he hurt a lot and so he really wasn't moving a lot he tried to move as much as he could um but he was weak even with the chemo and they discovered that he pretty much had a blood clot in his lung but the doctor that was there that night at the emergency room she said here's the problem if we give you the stuff to deal with this blood clot because of your ulcers, you're going to die. You're going to bleed out and die. And she said, but if we don't take care of this, the blood clot could kill you. And at that point, she saw in his file and he had just gone in for some numbers and looked at the numbers and he was supposed to talk with his doctor and she called this doctor in, in the middle of the night and wanted to talk because she saw the note that was set aside for them to talk about on Monday that this chemo really was not working and he didn't feel comfortable going further with any more treatments even to try to um, even qualify because they had done scans and there was just so... There was cancer on his face, everything. And so she said, well, I'm going to have the difficult conversation with you. And, and he made the decision that night that he wanted to go home, but he meant that he was ready to go home to heaven. He was a man of God, and he suffered through bone cancer, which is painful. Um, he went home for, he got to be home for hospice, and uh, they, they took care of him. We prayed with him, and at first he was a little bitter. And our pastor went and talked with him because his own pastor, a lot of his 
people that he hung around with actually turned their backs on him. And our pastor that we were getting to know at the time, we had just started going to church, didn't know my grandpa. And he's like, no, I'm going to go encourage him when he found out that he was kind of just struggling. And he said to my grandpa, he says, you know, I'm jealous of you. And he's like, what? You know, my grandpa was like, why? Why are you jealous of me? I'm sitting here suffering. And he says, you're going to go home to be with Jesus. And he says, think about it. You don't have, you know, and they were watching Fox News at the time. He says, you don't have, and it was President Obama that was still in. (laughs) He says, you don't have to deal with President Obama anymore. You don't have to deal with Fox News. You don't have to deal with the IRS anymore. He says, but most of all, you don't have to deal with this pain and suffering. And he says, you get to see your wife. That's there. He says, you get to see your family that's there already. And he said, you're going to be young again. And my grandpa sat there and he says, but most of all, you're going to be with Jesus, which is the greatest thing. And my grandpa thought about it and he says, you know, you're right. And he says, it's hard. He says, I didn't want to go out this way. You know, he's like, I wanted to just pass away peacefully in my sleep. Like some of my my generations before me where they just passed away in their sleep. But he's like, you're right. And that's the thing about it is we, you know, as believers, we still deal with the fallen world. And believers today still, they get sick. And it's not God that puts that sickness on them. You know, he he's not the creator of sickness. And it hurts him when he sees that we're sick, that people need a kidney or whatever it may be. But the thing about it is, is we can rejoice knowing that just because our bodies may physically fail, I know Elisha is probably, you know, that prophet is going to be up there in heaven. Elisha is going to be up there. And, you know, not, he's not suffering anymore. And there's going to be a day he's going to have his immortal body. And that's just something that we need to think about. And it may seem discouraging sometimes, but really, you know, know that the Lord is good. You know, and I think, and one of the things I, I would challenge you to, especially right now, um, it's out on Amazon, you know, video or whatever streaming uh, device you use, I would challenge you to watch the movie I Still Believe in. There's actually a book, and it's actually based on uh, the worship singer Jeremy Camp and his uh, marriage to uh, his first marriage. And his first marriage involved um, a woman that, and even before they were married, Uh, he had just, he had, he was in love with her and then he finds out or she ends up getting sick and they, uh, she finds out she has cancer and it's this journey that happens and it's real, you know, it taught the real struggles he went through and, and even she went through the, this discouragement you feel and, 
but they choose to still believe in God. And, and that's where, you know, the song I still believe came from was in that time. And so I would, you know, highly recommend it because it's, it's just kind of like the story of why, you know, why in such a way, you know, this man of God and, you know, things, and I've known men of God that have, and women of God that have died in, in sad ways, but, you know, you still know where they're at because, you know, death is, death of our physical body is not the end of it. It's just a gateway to, to eternity with the Lord. So we see that happen to Elisha, Elisha, and then, so there's that story, and Jehoash does defeat um, Aram three times in his time. Then we read about Amaziah. Uh, Amaziah, he started well, but he fell into idolatry. Um, he had not firmly resolved to do God's will at any cost. You know, essential perseverance in the faith is an unwavering intention to remain faithful to God and his commands until the end of our time on this earth, regardless what may happen to us. And so Amaziah doesn't follow the Lord. Then we have Jeroboam II. He's the king of Israel. He does not follow the Lord, but the Lord does decide to use um, Jeroboam, you know, because he had compassion for the people in that time. He does use Jeroboam II to help the people of Israel. However, we see that his goodness did not lead to repentance. And, you know, we see in this time that Israel's pro prosperity was a time of corruption spiritually, morally, and socially. And we'll see that in the prophet of Amos and Hosea, you know, they spoke of these people that are depraved. So we see that. And we also, and, and people go, okay, who's this Jonah, son of Amittai? This is the same Jonah that we read about that got swallowed by the fish and brought God's message to repentance to the Assyrians, which were Gentiles. So he did prophesy in that reign. Then we get to Azariah. Now Azariah in, is also called Uzziah. I don't know the reason why there's two different names. It, it could be different um, writers. We don't know. Um, he was king of Judah, and he was afflicted with leprosy. Now, Second Kings do doesn't go into why he uh, was afflicted with leprosy, but we will see it in Second Chronicles, why he was afflicted with leprosy. So I'm not going to spoil that story yet. Um, Then we have Zechariah, who's the king of Israel. Um, Zechariah, 
was also of the line of Jehu. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he is assassinated. And we see that there's Shalom. He's a lot of these people get assassinated that because once Zechariah dies, that's the end of Jehu's line. And so we have Shalom, you know, and um, Manaham, Pekiah, you know, and then Pekah. And these these different people. And over and over you'll start seeing and there's a there's a point where even Israel starts the northern kingdom starts getting smaller because essentially they're they're just gonna be so unrepentant and the Lord has done enough. And for the next reading we will talk about what happens to Israel. We'll also talk about what happens to Judah. As well, and then we read about Jotham, who's this, who's the king of Judah, and you know, he he did what was right, you know, before, you know, in the eyes of the Lord, you know, but that we see that the high places were still up, and not very much is written about Jotham. And then in chapter 16, we read about Ahaz, who's king of Judah. And Ahaz was not a good king. And we see that he is steeped with idolatry. And it, it's sad. You know, he, he decides he's going to follow idolatry. And he actually sacrifices one of his sons to the fire. And people go, well, God never talks about abortion. It's like, in a way, you know, when you're sacrificing your own child to a fire, to like that's a form of abortion. It's killing your own child. And so it just shows that, you know, with abortion, even abortion, you're essentially, you know, getting rid of your own child. Um, and it's hard because people really... You have those that bring up the question of, well, what if somebody is raped and they get pregnant? And, you know, I've heard stories of that, of, you know, women who serve the Lord and it's happened to them. You know, one, she was raped and then the the person was going to kill her. And... She said that she had, it was an encounter of God that, that saved her, you know, it, it scared her, attack her, and she was able to escape, but she found out she was pregnant, and they, they had given her the option to abort the, the child because of what had happened, and she decided no, and she raised her daughter to know that she's a, a child of the Lord, and this girl ended up becoming you know, a, a beauty queen, you know, one of, an actual beauty queen, and she tells a story that she was, you know, not conceived in a normal way. Another woman, she had been cap or kidnapped by a man, raped, beaten, left for dead. She survived, and she found out, though, she was 
uh, pregnant. Well, then they ended up finding her attacker and he had died. And her and her husband made that decision. You know, they prayed about it and they made that decision to raise the child as their own. And that he was, you know, like she said, I'm not going to blame the child for what happened. And so, you know, when it comes to abortion, you know, and people say, oh, about medical, you know, that's just something that I don't agree, especially with our governor here in Wyoming about where he was like, he, he was talking about some people that, you know, medically, you know, you have to sometimes do this medically. No, you don't. I've, I've seen a baby that was 21 weeks old and it was alive. And yes, the mom, they had to, you know, do a C-section because the mom was going to die if not, but, and he didn't end up living, but I looked at it and I said, there's no way. Why would somebody want to get an abortion after I saw this? And so that's just something that, you know, God does not stand for abortion. He, he is life. And, and so we see with Ahaz that he is so filled with idolatry and we just see this happen. But, and he ends up dying and Hezekiah, his son, succeeds him as king. And the next time that, or the next podcast next week, we will get to read about Hezekiah and what Hezekiah does for the Lord. And it's just amazing. And so that was the reading for this week. And it it's kind of a long thing. Like I noticed that the Old Testament ones are kind of long. And, you know, and, but it's going to be a lot easier once we get to Chronicles, um, these podcasts probably won't be as long for the first part of Chronicles just because of there's genealogy for, uh, for like the first 10 chapters of first Chronicles, it's genealogy. And so there'll just probably be some things that I pick out here and there to kind of point out and kind of do an introduction about first Chronicles, who wrote it and all of that. So for next week, we're going to finish up Second Kings, so starting on chapter 17 and going through chapter 25. And then we are going to start our first Chronicles, chapter 1, and go through chapter 5, verse 10. And so um, just feel free to divide that however you want. And so stay tuned for the uh, next podcast which will be the proverbs and psalms portion of it so i'm going to end in a prayer and just say thank you lord jesus for who you are god and that lord even though we see here in in the book of kings just people who were steeped in sin we ourselves were also steeped in sin but lord we just continue to read and lord you make this plan and put this plan into place to bring our Savior, Lord and Jesus, Lord Jesus, to the world, Lord God, and that He died for our sins, and and that because of that, you know, we're washed clean, we are saved, O oh Lord God, and we become Your child. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would just begin to work in our hearts and that, Lord, wherever we are struggling, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts about it and help us to just to shed whatever is not of you, Lord, out of our lives and that our heart would become more like you and that just work in our lives. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as I said, just stay tuned for the next podcast. Thank you.